Today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with John Odermatt from Finding Freedom and the Lions of Liberty trio. We talk about all kinds of good stuff. Uh, Felony Friday, his old show, transferring into Finding Freedom, um, how that transition occurred. We talk law enforcement, we talk FBI, we talk CIA, tell some personal stories, and just uh, have a good all-around conversation that I think you all enjoy. But first, as always, for all of your graphic design needs, go to RyanBunting.com. Ryan Bunting is a great libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, working really hard on a side hustle getting his business running and he does some really good graphic design he did my podcast logo he did freeman beyond the walls logo and uh he's looking to increase his business so ryanbunting.com for all of your graphic design needs and while you're there pick up his book project manicore it's a pretty good read And as always, thank you, Tom Burton. So, here's the show. I'm here with Mr. John Odermatt from Finding Freedom. How are you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. I I saw you. uh, I saw you post something a while back. Like, yeah, I really want to. I want to talk about the evolution of Felony Friday to Finding Freedom with somebody. And I was like, I'd talk to you about that shit. (laughs) So. Yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, it's been about, I don't know, two, two years in the making and uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of me convincing myself not to do it before I finally did it. But yeah, we can, we can get into that for sure. Yeah. I definitely want to get into that a little bit. I want to actually ask you um, to start off, like get you're, you're on the lines of Liberty uh, media mm-hmm. or broadcast, however you want to say it, which I think is really cool the way y'all have that set up. And uh, what what was your original idea when you started uh, Felony Friday? Yeah, man. So yeah, just to get like the full background on Lions of Liberty to start with that. So just quick, quickly, I won't go into the full story. That would take too long. No, you do but, what you uh, do, so, man. <laughs> so uh, Mark and Brian, uh, Mark, Claire, Brian, McWilliams, the three of us, and another guy named Dom Sedoti, who's no longer uh, no longer active, uh, founded lions of liberty i want to say 2011 whenever uh so it was ron paul's second uh, presidential run and what happened was in, in 2007 2008 when ron paul first ran that's when we all kind of came to liberty at the same time we were all all friends from uh from college went to penn state together and uh we i guess we started lines of liberty in the first place as we we got tired of uh you know, trying to convince our friends, you know, just about libertarianism and, and all this stuff that we were kind of coming into and talking about the books we were reading. And we realized that we were, we would just have these long email chains. We're just emailing back and forth, talking about all these ideas, talking about philosophy. We're like, you know what, this is kind of dumb. We should, we should put this out where other people can read it. 
maybe they might want to. So we, yeah, we started out first, just like writing blogs and stuff like that. And just uh, really talking about, I guess it was more political to start with and then sort of went political and then just went deep into uh, the philosophy and talking about the federal reserve. And I know you had that recent uh, episode uh, with, uh, with Mike, Mike Mahari um, on the federal reserve, which uh, is always fun to talk about. I love Mike too. I, I have him on. I, I told him, I said, yeah, we do this like once a year. We need to make it more often than just an annual Mike Mahari. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's one of the nicest people in the Liberty movement. And there's a lot of nice people in Liberty movement, but oh, yeah. uh, he's, he's a good guy. I like Mike. Um, but so, so we started with the blogging and then fast forward, um, Mark kind of accidentally started a podcast, uh, just did a couple of interviews and posted them. And all of a sudden people were listening and then that kind of snowballed as over time, we realized that, you know, you have thousands of people listening to a podcast or you have a couple hundred people reading a blog. I think we should all be podcasting. So when we were doing the blog, I did this thing. Um, it evolved into a felony Friday where I would just find some ridiculous case or some ridiculous, you know, police actions that I would write about or a couple different ones, depending on the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the news cycle that week. And when I decided to take that into uh, podcasting form, there were some factors that, that kind of drove that. And we could talk about that too, but um, I didn't know what it would turn into. I just wanted to shine a light on the broken criminal justice system. And I had no idea that it would turn into like what it did, which was like these amazing stories of people who, you know, do decades in prison for, you know, nonviolent, mostly nonviolent drug crimes. Although I have had people on, you know, who've committed violent crimes, people who've committed murder, things like that but sharing their story. And, you know, it's different than, you know, these true crime shows are real popular in podcasting now. And they dig in these, dig into these crimes and it's very dramatic and probably a little bit embellished, but Mm. you know, my show with finding freedom, I still have those interviews, but I've expanded more, but when it was just felony Friday, it was mostly just that. And, you know, sharing from almost always people that end up, in a situation that's going to put them in prison, even if it's nonviolent crimes, it seems to always come from a place of, you know, somebody growing up in a tough situation, some sort of trauma happening. Mm -hmm. And it leads just, just leads into that life. And it's a, it's, it's a cycle really. But the cool thing is like almost every single one of the people that I interview, once they get out of prison, they're not talking about, which is kind of surprising. They're not like angry about how they've been wronged. Might, I mean, not, not that they're like, they don't care about it, but they don't carry that on their shoulders. It's not like a, a weight they're carrying around. They've kind of let that go. And almost every single one of them focuses on turning around and helping, you know, their, their brothers or sisters um, who are still in prison to get out, which I think is, it's incredible. It's almost like it's, like in prison, they say like when you're in there, it becomes like a family and uh, it's their, they want to get the rest of their family out. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. Um, I think there's, yeah, th- there's something to be said about the, the caliber of person that you, you had found um, for that podcast to interview because like you said, they, they didn't seem bitter or enraged by, you know, being victimized by the state 
even if even if it was the most nonviolent offense, even if it was just marijuana offense or whatever, um, it, it was it was much more. I've learned from this. I've grown from this. Now I have to spread this wisdom that I found. And there was this there was this real kind of. It really resonated with me because. I think this is what everybody experiences when they find libertarianism. You, you like find something you're like, Holy shit, dude, I got the answer. Like, I know something here. Mm-hmm. Like, I see something that you don't see. And that's kind of the way they came across, but it was from a completely different standpoint. And there's this humility that occurs in a, in and up in a person whenever they've been through that kind of, you know, those hard times. Um, and just speaking anecdotally from my own experience when whenever i've gone through like really rough times and come out of the other side i've I've learned so much from it and been able to look back on it and say oh okay this is why that happened this is why Mm -hmm. i reacted that way and this is how i can change and to hear so many people that you have interviewed over the years you know have that exact experience coming out of prison turning their lives around it's it's very inspiring um for anybody, I would think, whether they're a libertarian or not. Yeah, I would think so too. And I mean, honestly, that that's what I get from it. And it's kind of annoying that, and this isn't, who knows, like you, you always get feedback from like the, the loudest people and the you know, people that are satisfied and uh, with, with what you're doing, not that these people were dissatisfied, but it's like some of the feedback that I would get that would annoy me is people would say, you know, I think it's great work that you're doing. People need to listen, but they're like, but when I listen, I, I come away and I'm just angry at the injustice. And I'm like, well, you, I mean, I'm not trying to be a dick about it, but you're missing the entire point. Yes, we understand there's an injustice. We're talking about that. We're highlighting the injustice, but we're talking about a, a case of an individual who's been able to overcome so much and not only, and it's not only helped them in their own life, their ability to, um, you know, fight through this difficult situation. And a lot of these people obviously have families, have kids, and they're really an example for others because, you know, people, once you have a loved one who uh, does time in prison, be it a year or be it, you know, 20 years or, or more than that, you start to understand that it's not just the prisoner who is serving the sentence. Um, it's, it's the family too. And uh, most of the time it's worse on the family, to be honest. Right. And I, I can kind of speak a little bit about this from experience in that one of the things that drove me into uh, fighting for criminal justice reform, for wanting to expose this broken system is having, you know, someone close to me, uh, my my brother-in-law, before he was my brother-in-law, um, get caught up in a, you know, basically an undercover scheme where police officers were coming to him. He was in college at the time and, uh, and coming to him and doing undercover buys. And he was not even selling drugs like in an organized way at the mm-hmm. time. You know, if someone came to him as a friend or something, he would help them out and try to help them find some marijuana. 
but uh, it wasn't like he was had some like great elaborate scheme or something. And he had this guy who he thought he was friends with. He was undercover uh, cop who came to him and kept coming back with incre- uh, increasing increments until they were able to charge him with a felony. And I mean, when they did the raid, they there was like, this big, you know, big raid they did. They raid like five different houses. And the only place where they didn't find any drugs or paraphernalia when they did the raid was with my brother-in-law in in his place he was living and something else must have happened you know it's it's like a it's like a a fog looking back through that time trying to figure out because you know you're dealing with obviously you know my my wife's family and, and my wife and it's just like it was just craziness at the time and like getting answers from anybody i don't fault anyone but it was just it was just hard to people didn't want to talk about it and uh I think what happened was his friends or who he thought were his friends ended up, you know, turning on him. And uh, there was some sort of deal in place, I think ahead of time, because he ended up doing more time than anyone else. At the end of the day, he ended up doing more than a year um, in prison. And then mm-hmm. he was in a halfway house for about a year. And that, I mean, that doesn't sound that bad, but we're just talking about for selling a little bit of weed. That's rid- <laughs> freaking ridiculous. And the damage that does to your life with a felony on your record I mean, that's, that's more damaging than anything else. Just the, uh, the stigma associated with that. Right. So, and I was kind of reminded of this, this, this past weekend, um, you know, my, my wife and I were, were Christians and, and we were in a Bible study and she was just, we were, she was sharing about this period in her life on how, you know, how we got through it. And just like, I kind of relived it for a minute on how just how tough it was because, Nobody, like nobody wanted to talk about it, but like the thing we needed to be doing was to, to be talking about it and um, yeah. getting it's just, it's just such an insane situation. And I don't know how I got off on this tangent, but um, I, I think at the end of the day, it can bring families, can bring people closer together um, if they allow it to. Yeah. And I think, I think there can be, can be actually healing in that, but. Well, and What's the time frame we're talking about about when this happened? Yeah, so I am horrible with time frames. Everyone knows that who knows me, but uh so I got married in 2013. So this is like 2011, 2012 when when this happened, I think. Okay, so so we're looking at a period where the stigma of marijuana it's starting to socially is starting to be kind of peeled away it's not just, like this just starting to yeah, right. just barely starting to yeah so so as time has passed it's kind of gotten to the point where yeah that was a bunch of bullshit you know for everybody that was involved yeah yeah okay i was just i was just curious like what are we talking about like late 90s or, or you know something like that you know that yeah it that's, a, that's, it was that's a little important. bit different yeah, of a yeah if it was like two years ago you'd be like how did that happen but uh <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy it's crazy how much and not that people aren't still getting arrested for uh for, mar- for uh, right. marijuana crimes which is insane but uh yeah it's and, and i think that uh you know at, at the time you know my wife's family was like afraid to like talk about it and i think yeah i think that's even even changed you know to a point yeah no i there the like i said as the stigma has been peeled away people aren't quite as embarrassed or um reluctant to to speak up about their actual views on things like that so that's you know and 
And since 2013, that, that stigma has really been coming off of marijuana. I mean, if you, it, my wife was following one of these uh, posts that some, I think it was some police force in Texas posted, you know, where they busted a dude with, you know, some marijuana and some, and some cash. And they're like, look what we got off of the streets. And she said it was like 90% of the comments were just piling on them. Just like you fucking thieves, you know, like, and I'm like, good, you know, cause yeah, exactly. it was fucking ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I can't believe, I mean, yeah, it's gotten to the point that it's, it's like satire when you, cause they still make those posts. It's like, how, like how yeah. out of touch can you possibly be Right. that you're, I mean, I, I understand that, I'm not excusing the fact that the, you know, the police officer is still doing it. I think, you know, if I was a police officer, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a police officer. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard comparison to make because I wouldn't right. be a police officer. <laughs> but I mean, at the very least, you would think they'd be self-aware enough to think, okay, we're still making these arrests, but wait a minute. seems like the climate's changed around this. We're not getting, you know, cheered on anymore for making these arrests. Maybe we should stop advertising them on social media. Right. Calm down. Sorry. He's all over the place. He's like, I'm like, eh, get off of me. It's not, I always say it's not an episode of year zero unless Boogie makes a fucking appearance somehow. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> he's, he's always got to make himself known. He's spoiled. Um, okay, well, let's transition from, from that story into what are some of the craziest stories that you've run across while doing, when you were doing Felony Friday? Like, because I know, like, there had to be some that were just like, what, wait, what, what happened to you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. When's this going to air, this episode? Uh, well, I, can, I was thinking about putting it out on Thursday, but I can wait if you okay. want. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's fine. Because, I mean, I mean, and this is just kind of recency bias to a certain extent, but not entirely. Because probably one of the craziest episodes is one that's coming out on finding freedom this Thursday. So it would be the same day this comes out. So after okay. you listen to this in full all the way through, you can go to lines of Liberty and check out finding freedom. And I'm not just doing this to plug this week's episode because it's just completely insane. I'll just briefly talk about it. No, I'll vouch for that. The first thing you said to me whenever we got online was dude, I just got off the craziest interview. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll just give a quick, quick backstory on it. Um, so in doing this show for so long, like I have a pretty big network in, uh, you know, criminal justice reform movement and people are calling me, sending me messages with, you know, different ideas for guests to have on. And uh, I have this, this one guy, uh, Malik King, who's awesome. Um, he, he does a lot of uh, writing and correspondence with people who are in prison and his network is just massive of people who have done time in prison. But, he likes to do this thing where he calls me and I pick up and he's like, John, do you have, do you have two minutes? I'm like, yeah, sure. Then he'll put me in a, like a three-way call. He's the only person that ever puts me in three-way calls, but he puts me on a call with this guy named Dalton Morrow, who is still in a halfway house right now. And he proceeds to tell me this story, which blew my mind um, about him getting information ahead of time about the Orlando terrorist attack in 2016 and relaying that to his the special agent that was on his case um, for a couple of different reasons. For one reason, because it was a potential terrorist attack on our soil and, uh, and people could die, but also, 
you know, maybe if I tell you this, you could help to get me out of prison sooner. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. And uh, obviously the terrorist attack was, was not, uh, not prevented, but uh, we go, we go deeper into the story, how we learned about it. And it's just, it's, it's freaking mind blowing. And, you know, you, you were talking, we were talking about the show uh, in the pre-show chat, you were talking about your, uh, you know, sort of being obsessed with the CIA and different things like that. And uh, you know, I don't know if the CIA dropped the ball here or the FBI or who it was, or maybe they never got the ball from the special agent or I don't know. One of those cases, is it just gross incompetence or is there more to the story? Um, because right now at this point in time, all of the, uh, you know, the court documents associated with this case are sealed for national security reasons. Um, also known as, you know, not wanting to make them look like a bunch of assholes. Yeah. Don't embarrass us. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a lot of times, I mean, you, if you, if you've read that book, terror factory, a lot of times these plots are thought up by the FBI to make, to give themselves something to do and to, to increase their support in the public, you know? So, I mean, yeah. that's, that's happened hundreds of times. I mean, we just had that, the situation um, when Trump was still in office, with uh, Gretchen Whitmer, where apparently these Boogaloo boys were planning on, you know, kidnapping her. And then you wait a few weeks and suddenly, oh, yeah, by the way, those were FBI informants who were, you know, coming up with this plot. You know, that it, mm-hmm. it, it really wasn't anything that we told you it was in the beginning. And then there was I had talked to um, Magnus Panvidia on. Uh, uh, a while back on on a show and he was telling me i had, i had heard about that story about the boogaloo boys who were supposedly selling selling arms to um that palestinian group i can't hamas mm-hmm. and he was like no it wasn't it wasn't boogaloo boys selling to hamas it was fbi informants selling to hamas it was (laughs) it was fbi informants posing as boogaloo boys got busted selling weapons to hamas you know it's like okay (laughs) there here we go again at some point we just got to get to the point where it's just like okay that's the fbi like we, we, we get, well, that's the first like anytime there's anything like that that happens i'm like okay let's find where's the fbi involved here right and right. almost every time it's like yes they were this this guy went on on the fbi's radar you know two years ago it's like okay well that makes sense yeah well and and then you have this and you i'm sure you follow this much closer than i do but as as the federal law enforcement fbi has grown you know, bigger and more powerful. So of local law enforcement, I mean, you have the, the selling of military vehicles to local law enforcement and things, things of that nature. And, and you look at it and you're like, this doesn't resemble anything that I was led to believe was, was what law enforcement was when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. It looks nothing like a police force did when I was a kid, you know, which, I mean, I'm 42. It wasn't that long ago. You know, it's like I I just look at it. I'm like, this is completely insane, and um, you know that can be traced back. I think it was uh, Max Blumenthal who had written that local police forces were being sent to Israel to be trained by Mossad on how to do riot control. It's like, what the hell is happening? You know. Yeah. And of course the news does not report on any of that right? because uh, 
why, why would they? That's not who's paying them. No, you have to, you have to depend on fake news to find out about any of that, you know, all the exactly. alternative sources, like I said, Max Blumenthal. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So was, was your transition from felony Friday to finding freedom just because like you, you were tired of being pigeonholed and you felt like there was a, a greater expansion or what, what went into that decision? Yeah. I mean, f funny that, uh, I mean, it kind of like transitions right in with talking about the news. I mean, I think it's, it's abundantly clear to anyone who is at all awake. Um, and I'm not even talking just like libertarians or, you know, any specific philosophy, but I mean, if, if you don't understand that the news media is, you know, 100%, I don't want to say 100% propaganda, but their goal is to propagandize you. Their goal is to assign you opinions and assign how you think. Um, and it's hard to cut through that. And I wanted to give myself more flexibility to be able to share stories from individuals that can help to cut through that noise. And I, I didn't, I mean, I'm not going to abandon sharing stories from the criminal justice system, but I want to be able to expand uh, outside of that because I think that, you know, as libertarians too often we get caught up in uh, you know, it's, it's so you see it all the time on social media, on Twitter with, you know, people talking about masks. Be like, well, you just look at this chart here that shows us that the masks were implemented here. And then the, you know, the cases kept going down and it didn't help at all. It's like, nobody gives a shit about charts and graphs. Nobody cares. Nobody, or just read this, uh, read this thesis that I have here. And this, it'll be all you need to know to, to learn all about why you're wrong and why libertarianism is right. That's not how people learn. People learn through stories and people learn through, you know, uh, seeing someone else, experiencing something and being able to put themselves in that person's shoes. So like one of the things with, I knew coming out of lockdowns, I'm like, people are really going to be hurting coming out of these lockdowns. There's going to be small businesses that are hurting. There's going to be, you know, individuals who are hurting. And I think it's only going to get, get worse with people losing jobs and hyperinflation and things like that. So I want to be in a situation where I could help to share these stories. And, you know, just the past couple of weeks I've had on, uh, had a, on a, a gym owner, here in, uh, in Pittsburgh, who the local county here uh, essentially tried to uh, buy his compliance for all future um, lockdown mandates that the governor puts in uh, for $5,000. If he accepted a $5,000 loan, then he would have to do whatever the, uh, the governor of Pennsylvania said going forward, and he told them that they could shove their loan up their ass. But he's giving people like that. But this is also a guy. I mean, it, there's that aspect, the political aspect of it. But he's also taking advantage of seeing opportunity in obstacles and seeing that, yes, uh, the gym he had was struggling, but he was able to, to keep it together and he did stay open. Um, he did close during the first lockdowns in March, but he stayed open since then. And he's expanded his business. He's bought another gym. So that's kind of where the, the finding freedom part comes in that, you know, we're going through this, uh, I think we're going through a, a transition period right now and things are going to get freaking difficult. Things are going to get tough. Right. Um, there's a lot of change coming for a lot of different industries. A lot of people are going to lose their job pile on top of that. Uh, you know, a government that is taxing the shit out of you, a money that is, you know, that is going to shit. Um, 
what governments, governors now that are, you know will shut down your business at the drop of a hat. Yes, all that's happening, but in all these things, in all these constraints and restrictions, you know, there's stories of people finding ways to deal with it, uh, finding ways to uh, you know find their freedom and 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 uh, really. I figured how I want to say this, find their freedom in that, in that respect. And I think it's important to highlight that because as libertarians, one of the things I think we really struggle with is application. We're great about talking about philosophy. We're great at talking about, you know, debating, you know, why the federal reserve is, is terrible, which it is Um, why, you know, why war is bad and, you know, it's, it's the, uh, the health of the state and it is, and, and all these different things. We're great at explaining those things, but we're not good at actually really applying those principles in the real world. Uh, we need more libertarians who own businesses. We need more libertarians who are starting nonprofits. We need more libertarians who are, you know, getting out in communities and, uh, and you know, training people to, uh, you know, proper ways to, uh, you know, for, on gun safety courses, things like that. And, you know, that might seem like it's not all connected and kind of at the top of the show, or I I think it was before we started recording, you were kind of asking about this transition. And uh, this has been scrambled in my mind for, for years and I didn't quite know how to do it. And much like with felony Friday, I didn't know where it would lead. And it led into the interviews with people who'd been incarcerated. Mm. I think finding freedom is going to do the same thing. And it's just going to, I don't know what it's going to turn into fully, but, you know, I have, I can see the, you know, the, the course set out in front of me of the, uh, of the craziness that, that we're going to encounter. And uh, I want to, I want to be flexible to highlight the, the people who are doing the best job um, overcoming those obstacles. Yeah, no, I feel you. I, it's, it's when I first started uh, podcasting in 2018, I was actually going under a different name, uh, Stranger Encounters. And I was, a lot of the people I were in, was interviewing were, were business owners that, that weren't libertarian. It was just small business owners, entrepreneurs. Cause I'm, cause I, I had read Harry Brown's how I found freedom in an unfree world. And I was like, well, that's, we need to find a way. And like you're saying, we need to find a way to tie all this together. And then, uh, you know, I stumbled into agorism and I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. You know, so it talked about that, you know, with some people a few times and, you know, that's kind of, how I live my life when I'm at home, whenever I'm not out on the road, when I'm home on the weekends, you won't, you won't catch me on Twitter very much, you know, or anything like that, because mm-hmm. I'm out in my yard and I'm working and I'm, I, I got chickens and go, I'm gardening and we're re, rebuilding the house and we're doing this and we're doing that. And so I'm doing all this other stuff on the side, you know, trying to set us up to where I can come home from being over the road, especially with like the threat of COVID passports and shit like that. I don't want to, I don't want to have to be dealing with all that stuff. So how can I set myself up in, in, in a more free manner? And, you know, part of that's going to be working alongside my wife and expanding her business and uh, things of that nature. Uh, And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's got to be more application. The problem is, that I see, and, and, and you mentioned this, and it's the focus on, on theory and philosophy. And I can, only, I can only deal with that for so long, especially after last year. It's like theory and philosophy only means so much anymore. Yeah. You know, I listened to, uh, 
hour and a half conversation on mutual exchange radio, you know, uh, of the theory of positive liberty versus negative liberty earlier. And about an hour into it, I was like, what am I? I'm not getting anything out of this. Like, this is a nice mental exercise. You know, this is mental masturbation. This is not getting me anywhere, you know? And, and so I, you know, eventually just shut it off and just turn on an audio book. I was like, yeah, let's listen to the history of this and see how this is relevant to today. And, you know, so, so I, I find history a lot more applicable, um, a lot more libertarians need to be a lot more focused on, on self-help, um, winning friends and influencing people probably need to read that a few times. Um, and yeah, it, it, we got to learn one thing I've, I've, I've come to realize over the last year is in, and you brought this up in what you were saying at the beginning with the news, we have to figure out how to use propaganda appropriately and not just hammer people in the head with facts. Facts don't change minds. Yeah, I read I read the law about Bastiat and that changed my mind, but it didn't change my mind because it was factual. It changed my mind because it pissed me off. You know, you know emotions are what changes people's minds. Pe people change their mind on emotions. They get to the facts later, you know, and, and yeah, you're, you're absolutely right on that. And I don't claim to only be talking to a libertarian audience. And I think that's what's so interesting about your show it's not just geared towards libertarians. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important. Yeah. I mean, and to the point that, and it's kind of, it's kind of weird to do this when you do an interview, but I try to avoid, you know, bringing up and my episode last week, it got very much into politics, which is fine. I mean, um, I had on a, a coffee shop owner in, uh, in Kentucky and he's a he's a Republican, a Liberty Republican, and he's very politically you know, politically active. And it got very you know very much into politics. But most of the time, like when I had on that that gym owner, he's he's a Libertarian, he's Mises Caucus, and uh, but I didn't want to bring that up because you know you can have people listening who uh, you know might just might just be sort of curious about the ideas of liberty. And they see the title, you know, they click on the podcast and they're listening. And I start, you start throwing out, you know, libertarianism and the Mises caucus and you got to join this. It's like, what the hell are you even talking about? Like, what, what is going on here? So I, I try, I try to avoid uh, delving into that stuff uh, too much. But, you know, I think you bring up a great point with the vaccine passports. And, you know, one of the things that as, as like the libertarian party, and I don't know if you listen to uh, Vin Armani at all. At all, I've been on a Vin Armani kick. Um, I love I love listening to Vin. Yeah, I, that the podcast he just did with uh, Liberty Lockdown was yeah. phenomenal. That was a great podcast. I listened to that, and he did. So he did that. Then, like two days later, he did one on Lines of Liberty with uh, with Mark. With I think just came out on this. Yeah, this past Monday. I'm gonna have to it was check fantastic. that one out. Yeah. And so he was talking about, I forget which one it was on because they both mixed together. But so the whole spat with Dave Smith about, you know, is he using his time best by trying to influence the Libertarian Party? And it's like, well, if and Dave agrees with this and, you know, prominent Libertarians, Tom Woods, they agree that, you know, the issue right now is vaccine passports. That like that is the issue. 
we, we, I mean, obviously we want to try to prevent it. We want to, want to try to pre- preserve as much freedom as possible. We don't want a, uh, a caste system, essentially a segregated society where if I go to a restaurant and I don't have a vaccine, I have to go in a separate bathroom and drink from a separate water fountain. No, nobody wants that. I mean, right. nobody should want that. Apparently some people do want that, <coughs> but how do we prevent that? Do we prevent that by, you know, taking over the libertarian party and influencing their ideas and then, in 2024, Dave Smith or somebody like Dave Smith run, runs for president. Now, by that time, we have vaccine passports and we've lost. Right. So what, what are we going to do right now? Yeah. What are you doing like right at this moment, right now? Party politics doesn't matter. Right. I mean, you got to be talking to your, your friends. Um, you you got to be pushing back. For example, in my, my own personal life, one of my, and I tweeted about this the other day, and uh, it's, it's a freaking tough subject and it's frustrating to me, but one of my good friends, childhood friends, we don't agree politically, which, you know, which is fine. I'm, I, I don't, you know, end friendships just based on politics, but he had told me that uh, he won't see me or my other friend who also isn't getting the vaccine um, until we get vaccinated. And his, this guy's, a, I'm not going to say his name, but he's a doctor. And uh, his reasoning was because he didn't want to expose his kids, which obviously makes makes no sense. I mean, the flu is more dangerous than COVID to, you know, to, to little kids. That's just, that's not even close. I mean, just do a little bit of research. You're a doctor, but I, I pushed back on him. We both me and my friend pushed back on him and, and called him out. And we're like, we, listen, you know, we understand the situation you're in. You're a doctor. You can't, you know, you can't uh, it's, you know, it's hard for you to, to push back against this right now. You could lose, you know, you could lose your job. Um, just letting him know that we understand, you know, what he's up against. And he didn't really say anything, but I think it's important to let people know like your reasoning and why you're saying this and not just to tell them to, you know, screw off. And people are, people are looking at this. They're looking, it's not making sense. Um, The the media, you know, the media is hammering this narrative down and there's this holes all over the place Mm -hmm. and you're not going to change people's minds by you know showing a graph with when a, a mask mandate was implemented, but you can change their minds with you know with emotion and, and talking about like you know the, the damage that mask wearing could have on you know children under the age of ten who for the past year haven't been able to you know see their friends' faces or see adults' faces and are losing the ability to uh, you know read facial cues and communicate. And right. understand what a smile means. Maybe a little half smile, or you know, maybe it's you know, maybe you can just all the, all you're seeing are, are you know someone's eyes. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's I don't think there's one answer, but just putting all of our eggs into this basket and saying, well, if we take over the Libertarian Party and we get that, then we can get people elected, which you, you won't. You know, I mean, you're not going to get people. You can get people elected locally, Libertarian Party. You're not you're not going to have a Libertarian president. Do you you believe believe the voting? I mean, I just think that and I'm still a member of the Libertarian Party, but I'm in this position where I'm kind of like coming awake to uh, the madness of it, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I had just talked to Spike Cohen a couple of weeks ago and I told him, you know, I was like, I just I don't see why I should join. I, I joined and I watched what they were doing and I was like, well, that was a waste of my fucking money. And then the next year I joined again and I watched what was going on. And I, well, that's a fucking waste of my money. And then I joined again 
And the same thing. That was a waste of my money. It's like, why the fuck am I going to do it again? You know, like, yeah, yeah it's like it, it, the definition of insanity, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. You're There has to be something that convinces me. And I, I get where these guys are coming from and, and they want to take over the, the libertarian party and they want to, to, you know, spread the message, you know, and create the next Ron Paul movement through the political process, not expecting to get elected. Okay, fine. I understand. I, like, I, I don't, I'm not sitting there saying that you're completely wrong. I just don't know if that's, you know, the place for me to, to, to act right now, as far as the, the vaccine passports, yeah, this is you call it, everybody's saying it's the fight. Now I have a little bit of pushback on that, but I'm not going to get into that on this episode. I'm going to, that's what part of what I'm going to talk to Pete about. Um, but so I don't want to ruin that, but let's, let's get into can, can, what can we get a teaser, a teaser for it. Okay. Well, some, <laughs> all right. Some of my listeners already know because I've been on yeah. this fucking subject for a month. I've been just hammering like what the hell is going on. All right. So the, the sec um, earlier in March, announced there's going to be a task force that is monitoring ESG scores for investors and banking. ESG stands for environmental, social justice, and governance. All right. So your vaccine passports are going to fall under the social justice. All right. So, so it's going to be part of your, of your banking score. This is going to be something that is going, that is being rolled out. They plan on it being completely rolled out by 2022 but to but but it's it's um it's a public private partnership that we're looking at here now this is a lot of people are like well this isn't happening i'm like bullshit i can show you where it's happening i can show you the the chairman of the sec giving a spent a speech in front of the you know uh center for american progress you know and thanking john podesta and you know all this i i can show you where this is happening the the fact of the matter is is this public-private partnership isn't new. Now, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, how I'm obsessed with the CIA. John, John Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles were compatriots with Woodrow Wilson back in, in the you know, early, what, 1915, 1916, 1917. So Woodrow Wilson was utilizing the military in 1917 to sure up the uh, the corporations, a sugar company that the United States got, that a United States company owned, right? So he's using a, a public, you know, uh, uh, security. He's using public military to sure up the the private corporation. Now they realized back then, it was something they wrote about extensively that you can do anything, uh, any kind of imperial. Um, action across the world, as long as your most wealthy corporate donors support these actions and they benefit from these actions. So you need the backing of corporations. So you end up with this whole merger of the public private partnership through the CIA. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if you read um, 
Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins. He talks a lot about this, about how they infiltrated these corporations. They would pressure these governments. And if the governments then go along, then you would get the military action coming in behind them. They called them the jackals, right? So this is just what you're seeing now with IBM and uh, and these companies creating these vaccine passports. The Coca-Cola um, giving these woke courses to to their uh to their employees nike and all these people flying rainbow flags and blm flags right this is this is a decentralized kind of tyranny and what it is it's it's a it's like a shame culture right so you're getting the tyranny from the bottom up so what they're basically saying if we get the corporations to lead the way yep. you know and take on these different social aspects then the rest of it will just kind of fall into place easily now look at who they're demonizing you look back at john brennan again cia i mean you trace all this back to i mean the cia has long threads into academia into media i mean this has been going on for years in 1978 you know this stuff was getting revealed by the house intelligence committee um so you you look at how they kind of take on these very outspoken popular movements, these corporations do, and then the government kind of falls into place. And people are like, well, the government is, is, is following corporations. Well, kind of. I mean, they, it, it, it doesn't mean that they didn't already aspire to do these things, but it's easier on them if the corporations go about it, they create this culture around it, right? And then Brennan comes out and anybody who's not aspiring to these, these social justice standards, libertarians, anarchists, three percenters, MAGA people, oh, they're domestic terrorists. They're radicals. Mm -hmm. Well, no, we're not radicals. We're just average human beings that are looking at this and saying, this is a bunch of bullshit. I don't have to agree with the way you think to do business with you. We're like, just saying, it, hey, remember 2019? Remember that? Like right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. But then what, what a lot of people aren't seeing is all this stuff comes back to the banking system, right? You have the IMF weighing out that they're going to take into consideration your Google uh, searches in your in in your credit and make that part of your credit score so if you're searching for the wrong thing if you're buying the wrong thing if you're doing the wrong things then your credit scores are going to drop right and we saw this with operation choke point in the obama administration when the obama administration the dog doj under obama put pressure on banks to stop giving credit to gun manufacturers to gun retailers to all this so you're you're having this back door like I call it decentralized tyranny come in the back door and they're distracting you with this one big story and everybody's getting frantic about this, but there's a lot of other stuff, a lot of other moving parts taking place that are all interconnected to this. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I was nodding along. I don't know if, if you heard me or, or saw me when yeah. you were talking there, but dude, hundred percent, that, that is exactly what is happening is they've essentially contracted out the corporations to implement this ahead of the time. So you can't say, oh, that's the government trampling my rights. Oh, it's, these are private corporations. They're allowed to do that. They've stolen the libertarian argument. <laughs> Once again. using it against us. <laughs> and you still have freaking idiotic libertarians, not everyone, but some, right. for, the, for just to use vaccine passports as, as an example, once again, 
who are still saying, well, you know, we're talking about private companies here. So if, if, you know, a private company, if, you know, mom and pop grocery store, if they want to check your passport, they can check your passport. Nobody, that's not what's happening. That's not what's right. happening at yeah. all. I mean, that's, no, that's not a, what's happening. It's a, ridiculous, it's a ridiculous thing. What you like, why are you even talking about that? That's right. Yeah. 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 And so like, and, and that's what, I, that's what my whole point is. If you trace all this back, it, whether or not, Oh, here he is. He's, he's just going to make himself at home. Um, whether or not the CIA is directly involved with the moves that we're seeing right now, they laid all the groundwork for this. Like everything they've done through history, creating this private public partnership has, has laid all the groundwork for this. And this is, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they are very much involved in this. You can, you can look back and you can find declassified letters from William Casey in the 80s where he's talking about how they're going to to leverage public opinion and world the world economy in order to you know benefit US corporations mm -hmm. and keep keep America as the preeminent you know power in the world and all these things so this is not out of the realm of possibility that all of this is coming back you know on us and that we're just seeing a natural evolution of all the work that the cia has put into you know um projects like mk ultra operation mockingbird um the invasion of academia and all these things that are just one after another coming coming out um, I, I can't say, and, and we won't know for 30 to 50 years, whether or not we can say that the CIA was directly involved in any of this, but what we can say, it has all of the trademarks. It, it has all of the same types of patterns and fingerprints all over it. Yeah. Uh, it's craziness, man. So when Dave Smith did come out a few months ago and said, look, man, if you're worried about fucking words, you're not ready for this fight because we're in a battle with the CIA. He was completely right. Completely fucking right. You know, that's why I've always been interested in them, though. Now, I was I was originally interested in them because I wanted to be one of them. But, you know, I've changed my mind. I, I, I discovered the libertarian philosophy and I was like, well, no, nah, I don't necessarily want to do that. But, yeah, you know, uh, when I first saw JFK, I was like, oh, I could do that shit, you know. The point that uh, that Vin brings up, you know, when Dave brings up that point, which is, I mean, I will say that's a ballsy thing for Dave to say, you know, saying we're going to battle the CIA. And I mean, I'll be honest with you right now, the episode of publishing on Thursday, you know, talking about this Orlando shooting and uh, people knowing about it ahead of time. It makes me a little nervous to do it. It's not the easiest one that I'll, you know, to press publish on a little bit concerned. Not that I think anything will happen. I, you know, I think everything's, everything's fine, but at the end of the day, in, in like what, uh, what Vin Armani talks about, to kind of go back to, you know, are we investing our time wisely in the Libertarian Party? And, you know, if you have someone, I don't want to pick on, I like Dave Smith. I don't want to pick on Dave Smith. I mean, I think, I think he's doing a good job for what he wants to do. And this isn't about- I think he's Dave a great spokesman. Be, yeah. 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 He's a great spokesman. And they, it I is, mean, they have a difference of opinion and that's fine. Yeah, I think uh, both I mean, of them but, make but some this very be, valid if, This would be if it was Gary Johnson or or anyone or Joe Jorgensen say that they did get you know elected uh, and became president. Right. Nothing's going to change. Right. Say say you got twenty 
libertarian senators. Nothing's going to change. Do you know why? Because the power structure is in place and people are easily corruptible. And yes, you might have you might have one Ron Paul who's able to withstand it for the most part. Um, but that's very, very rare. And, you know, I'm sure if you even looked into Ron Paul, I'm sure there's things there that, uh, you know, I'm sure he has some skeletons in his closet. Not many, but I'm sure he has something. But everybody, we're human beings. We're, we're corruptible. So how, how do you fight back? And I mean, I don't want to go down Vin's road, but I mostly agree with it, it that I think it does. I mean, you're fighting back against religion. And really the only way to do that is with religion. Yep. And uh, that's, that's where we are. Yeah, no, I, I, and I definitely understand his point there. Like the, the podcast he did with Pete last year on that, on the dim age were remarkable. And um, you know, he, he really got me thinking about a lot of different things. I, I think what, what my point is and where I come from in all of this is I, I, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not taking on the CIA as far as like, Hey, um, I'm going to stop you, you know, like I'm not going to deconstruct the CIA, but what I can do is open some people's eyes. You know what I'm saying? And say, Hey, look, mm -hmm. like y'all are missing, you know, critical aspects of history here. And the fact that you're allowing them to make you believe all of this is just conspiracy theory. It, it's, it's, it's buying into the state propaganda. Don't buy into the state propaganda, you know, live your life accordingly but be aware of what's happening around you. You know, this mm -hmm. is, this has been a, a long effort by these guys and they've, they've, you know, they've exercised and practiced and done all these experiments and, and things have, have been coming to fruition, you know, slowly, but surely incrementally uh, over the years. And this is something that, you know, you'll read in, in all these books there, <laughs> They are not tied to the incremental aspect of, of change. They'll, mm -hmm. if they don't see, if they don't think it can happen incrementally, they are, they're perfectly fine with a revolution, you know? Let, let, let me ask you this question. Um, I'll interview you, interview you for a minute. Cause I heard this on, uh, I, I listened to Scott Adams podcasts. I, I don't agree with Scott. Scott Adams is the, the you know, creator of Dilbert. Dilbert. Yeah. Well, yeah, really interesting guy. He's real big into, um, he, he considered himself a Trump supporter, but he also considers himself like left of Bernie Sanders, which is kind of interesting, but, uh, he's big into persuasion and understanding persuasion. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he was, he was pointing out, you know, how Trump used, used persuasion throughout his presidency and doing the same thing now with, um, you know, not that Joe Biden's using any persuasion, but other people in, uh, in politics. Right. And, I mean, the, the one thing that, what was he, I lost my train of thought. What were we just talking about before? Well, I was talking about, I, I had said that the, the CIA makes it perfectly clear. They, they'll, they're just as willing to use revolutionary tactics as well as incrementalism whenever taking over a society and whenever bent molding a society to their will. Mm, it's not coming back to me. Oh, you know, that'll happen. I've done hour two of podcasting my brain is about fried. <laughs> yeah uh, no nah, i just like i said I, I i get i get digging into these old stories right now i'm reading yeah. on the dullest brothers and i just that's all that's on my mind i'm like oh, i gotta talk about the cia now it came to me it came to me all right i knew it would so with the cia we're talking about media 
So CIA, obviously, you know, very involved in media. They say Anderson Cooper, you know, former CIA, they have all these ties to media. They're in politics, they're in companies. Wouldn't it stand to reason that the CIA is also getting involved with uh, social media, uh, co-opting, influencing influencers or taking over influencers, or maybe they're influencers themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they have podcasts themselves, or maybe they're buying off podcasters. So... I've actually brought this up to, um, and I think I think it makes it harder for them. Obviously, to harder to control with the more decentralized we get with media, which is good. And maybe right. it'll become hopefully it will become impossible for them to control. But uh, that's I think that's something to keep an eye out for. Yeah, no, I, I brought this up to Pete a while back. I was like, how many how many of these uh, libertarian podcasters do you think are uh, controlled opposition? You know, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's always been the rumor that. Alex Jones is controlled opposition. I mean, I don't, I don't have a, you know, a real strong feeling one way or the other about that, but yeah, they have a whole, uh, they have a whole financial, um, uh, corporation, um, geared towards social media. It's called InQtel, mm. right. And they, they spend millions of dollars, um, on Facebook and Twitter in order to, to have access to, the information to your posts, to your information that you put out there on social media. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's out in the open. Um, there's a, I was just looking right here. Uh, there's a CBS story from, I think it was 2011. You don't need to wear a tinfoil hat to believe that the CIA is using Facebook, Twitter, Google, and other social media to spy on people. And then there was a, there was a report that came out last year. Um, that showed that the Department of Defense has spent has um, paid millions of dollars to Google and Microsoft for over 1500 contracts that they're involved in with uh, the, the Defense Department. I mean, these it's not it's a I mean, it's probably the most open secret there is, is that the intelligence agencies, whether it's uh, NSA, CIA, uh, dia all of them are using i mean i remember there was a story it was it i think it was in 2019 there was a story that came out that like um a bunch of a bunch of people got kicked off of facebook because the israeli government asked facebook to kick them off of facebook you know i mean it's it's out there in the open you can find all this stuff (laughs) it's it's way out there but these are private companies. So we- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't, I don't even call them private companies. I call them, uh, I call them, um, government contractors. And yeah. then I, and then I make people defend Blackwater. Yeah. That's, that is a great, yeah, that's a great analogy there. Yeah. Because that's what they are. They're government contractors. They're working, they're working in cahoots with the government. Nothing is free. The only reason it is free is because you are the product. Mm-hmm. They're t- tentacles of the state. Yep. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I kind of took over this interview. I'm sorry, man. No, I was I, I really, <laughs> really enjoying this. I like, I mean, I, I like when podcasts just turn into, you know, just conversations, man. I mean, that's, you know, it's, I think that's, I think that's healthy. It's good. Yeah. Well, uh, that's kind of the way I like to do it. I think people like to listen to that a little bit more than the, than the yeah. real, real structured, like, 
okay, so you said, and you got this list of questions that you're going to yeah. ask no matter what they say to you, yeah. you know, <laughs> real polished. You sound like, you sound like you belong on NPR. I remember when, <laughs> when I started podcasting and I still do it now, but I would write down my questions. I would have my intro, my questions. I would have transitions. I would have, you know, my outro, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I still do that a little bit. I, not, not to the extent I did, <laughs> but maybe i look at my notes 10 percent of the time like right. it's like if there's like a date i have to look for or something but yeah no i take notes on if i'm doing like if i'm doing something on a specific subject and it's just like a solo podcast i'll have notes to look over um i remember i, I remember i did one on julian assange a few years ago and i had like 11 pages of articles and I think I, I think yeah. I only covered like a third of them. <laughs> I just put them all in the show notes. I'm like, you can read all the shit I've been reading. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not big on the notes. I like to kind of, and that, I guess that's what it, that does kind of limit the people I talk to though, because it gives me, I, I only get, only invite people that I've listened to like enough to kind of know who they are and what they're doing. And so I kind of know how to approach them with a conversation, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and and to kind of circle all the way back to one of your first questions when you were asking about my change from Felony Friday to finding freedom. And I feel like I, I got, you know, you talk about like talking about setting up these notes and, you know, just kind of, setting up the outline for the interview, I, I feel like I got like too comfortable in what I was doing. And it's kind of a weird thing to say with like getting comfortable when you're interviewing people who, who've been to prison. A lot of people wouldn't be comfortable with that, but it became almost like, like too easy to, to an extent. I, I mean, I don't want to like make it sound like the interviews aren't good because they're awesome, but I felt like myself as like an interviewer, I, I wasn't stretching myself. So I don't know if that makes any sense. But. Yeah, no, I, I, I can feel you there. I know I've, uh, I've gone last year was a pretty rough year on me. And, uh, I was, I, I damn near quit podcasting. I was, I was just like, I, I think there was like five or six times last year. I was just like, I don't even, I'm not even enjoying this. Yeah, that happens to me happens yeah. to me about once, once a year, it's going to hit you at least. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, I don't really want to talk to anybody. I, there's not really anything I want to talk about. Everything's just kind of, and I, it was, it wasn't just that the environment of the year, but I had just lost a dog that I was really close to. And it was just a, a combination of all of these things. And I was just like, I really just don't care. I really just don't care. And, you know, I mean, I'm happy I, I stuck with it because now I'm having fun again and I'm really enjoying it and I'm having some really good conversations here recently. But yeah, last year was last year was a rough one for me. Yeah, you got to give yourself time like to, to unplug and just not think about podcasting or talking to people or Twitter for a while. I, I got a week coming up at the end of May where I'm just I'm, I'm not doing anything like we're, we're going to the beach. And uh, it's just going to be our family. And I'm not, no podcasting, no Twitter, no social media, just freaking, just, just need to, you need to get that out of your mind. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, social media is no joke. I don't don't know how much time, you know, you spend on, on Twitter and I I see you on there from time to time, but uh, I mean, that shit, that's, that's addicting. And it kind of like, I have a, it's weird. I have like a different attitude. If I'm on Facebook, 
compared to Twitter. Um, I'm very much more aggressive like on Twitter. It's weird, <laughs> but uh, I freaking go after people. And I'll get in these arguments. Then I'll go down this rabbit hole, and then looking at it like, what am I doing? Like, who is this? I don't know who this person in is. Right. Like, <laughs> right now, I you know I'm I'm weird about social media. I I really never have really cared for it too much, but I go through these periods where I'm like active for like I don't know a month and then I just disappear <laughs> it's like, then I'm gone yeah. for a couple of weeks and I'm like all right I'll get back on there but like I said I, I'm doing so much at home on the weekends I don't even I don't even think about podcast well I don't uh the only, only thing I do as far as podcasts go is every Sunday night I record my intro for my Monday morning podcast and I get all it uploaded for, for Monday morning. But other than that, I really don't jack with it. I don't do anything on podcasts. I sit around, I drink beer and I garden and hang out with the wife. And, you know, she cooks me good food and, you know, I can't be happier. So. That's good. But all right, man. Well, you got any closing statements? I'm going to have to get back on the road here. And this dog's about going crazy. If I don't start driving, he's going to eat me. Yeah, man. <laughs> be a terrible story to read about truck driver <laughs> eaten by his dog uh, that'd be sad uh, just yeah. chewing on me <laughs> I, got, I got some things i can uh, i can plug here for yeah sure. let's get those plugs in man so you know talk about lions of liberty obviously you know if you still go to websites some people do you can go to lionsofliberty.com you just want the podcast just look for the uh, lions of liberty feed on whatever podcatcher you use you can find my show finding freedom published every thursday we have a Monday show with Mark Clare and a Wednesday show, Electric Liberty Land with Brian McWilliams. And uh, Mark's show is interview-based for the most part, talking to entrepreneurs, libertarians, talking philosophy, stuff like that. Brian's show is like current events, news, comedy, a lot of cursing. Hide your kids when you listen to that. And my show, well, we talked about that during this, so you know what it is. But other than that, what else I'm into, uh, have a coffee company that uh it's called run your mouth coffee we are the official coffee of uncensored speech so no one claimed that we're claiming it and uh, you can buy some coffee and support us by going to rymcoffee.com and uh for your listeners if people want to uh, get 10 percent off if you put in promo code year zero we'll hook you up with 10 percent off so that's rymcoffee.com year zero nice and uh I don't know. I also, I also uh, have a, a vacant land selling business, investing business. So if anyone's looking to buy some land, I mostly buy land in uh, California in the part of California where no one is up in Modoc County and also moving into Oregon. So if you want to buy some vacant land, look at uh, jbwillmattproperties.com. And uh, I'll link to that in the show notes or I'll link to that. I don't have the show notes page. I can't. I have the show notes page. I'll give you. I'll give you the link for the show notes page. If people, you can put that in there. Yeah, you can just. uh, uh, Yeah, you can just send me all the links you want me to put in, and I'll put them all in there. So used to hosting podcasts, I forget. That's all right. Sometimes, but uh, that's that's it, man. I think that's all I got. It's nice to be a guest every once in a while, but I do the same thing whenever my buddy uh, he has a podcast, The Invictus Mind, and he'll have me on every once in a while, and I'm like, like, what am I supposed to be doing here? I don't know how to do this part of it. This part of it is not. I've been on the Invictus Mind. Great show. Yeah. yeah. Mike Mike is a really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I had a great time talking to you. I hope we do this again. Yeah, this was fun, Tom. All right. I'm going to stop recording.
pick and choose Well, it's a game that was made for you to lose Doesn't really matter how many times It's the same old worn-out story, same old lines There are one dirty fingers in hypocrisy Bragging on their feet to mediocrity again Never really making any kind of change But they keep on getting re-elected And I find that strange Fuck them, don't feed them, cause we don't even need them I never celebrate the parents out of taking our freedoms Yeah, I said fuck them, don't feed them, cause we don't even need them I never celebrate the parents out of taking our freedoms What's it gonna take for you to see That we're living in a rigged democracy